All right, Zig coming in on the top ten of the show. We have Esther Ballant, singer, songwriter, actor, artist, violinist extraordinaire. She's worked with a ton of amazing musicians and actors. You might know her from Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise. She also did a film with Steve Buscemi in The Trees Lounge. Uh, she also worked alongside Mina Farrow, John Malkovich in Woody Allen's Shadow in the Fog. She also has recorded, toured alongside um, renowned musical artists such as Tammy Faye, Starlight, Mark Rabot, Elliot Sharp, uh, Dana Kurtz, John Zorn, and the Swans. A pretty renowned intro. And she grew up in a very unique situation in which her family ran a theater called Squat Theater. And it was an avant-garde art hub in New York. And so much, so many profound artists ran through that and interacted with it. And to live and grow up in that environment. It's profound and fascinating. And to hear her stories with it, from the good and the bad, and to be surrounded by this creative energy all the time is, is mind-blowing. And you're going to hear that in a bit. Um, before we get to it, Esther has a new album coming out called I Hate Memory. And this is one of the most, I think, potent, honest records I've heard in a long time. So she dives into that good and bad of this experience growing up in the super creative environment. And there's way more to it. That's just my perception of it. And so this, this record has two, two parts. It's an on-stage performance as well as a recorded performance. So the record's out, and it's on all the streaming platforms. Um, but there's also the live performance aspect of it, which tells more of the story and has more, it's, it's what Esther calls an anti-musical. It's an anti-musical, and in the conversation she explains that more. But it's, there's acting, and there's, there's more bits to it that the record doesn't have. So if you can see this performed, you should. Um, but the record's out now. We're going to listen to a tune off I Hate Memory. This is Art Bodega Nation.
Art Bodega Nation, I Hate Memory, uh, available on all the streaming stuff. And yeah, and, and, and just listening to that, you get a taste of the story. Now, I highly recommend you listen to the whole thing um, to make the narrative more clear. And this might be, that might have been a weird one to jump in on, but I think that was a really impactful, impactful, when it, my, with my first listen, was that track in particular. Anywho, during this conversation, Esther and I hit this really interesting point about the uncomfortable comfortableness, right? When you go out there and you do something because it's what you love to do, but you make yourself uncomfortable and being comfortable with that uncomfortable place and how difficult and how rewarding and how challenging that can be. And it, it's a this was a really insightful conversation. And I, to come from a, a talent such as Esther and hear these insights was very, very cool. And I'm very excited to share this conversation with you guys. Uh, before I do that, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms. It helps me keep talking to cool guests like Esther and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, we're going to jump into it. This is my conversation with Esther. What do you teach? Yeah. I teach singing. I, I'm like kind of vocal coaching. Say, uh voice teaching a kind of mix between the two and I also have mostly younger students not all but like teens uh and so yeah okay yeah is it like um to kind of jump into it like coming from like a background in like theater or literally like yeah. growing up in theater um yep. 
learning to like throw your voice and project and be able to like uh, use that oomph that you that takes time to develop. Like, is that kind of where you think stem uh, singing stemmed from for you? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. And also, our theater never really worked on quote projecting and I'm still always fighting that I mean yes you have to have a certain level of excitement to be heard but I'm all for using microphones and you know we're 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 of the as as now it's called in the singing industry we're microphone singers so the whole thing about really working on projecting can actually in my opinion, lead you a little bit astray and, and, uh, you know, kind of putting on a little bit of a fakey voice just for the sake of, um, volume or yeah. Yeah. And, and that can kind of sometimes take you away from actually connecting to what's actually going on emotionally in a song. So, so I'm, 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 I, I don't think projecting was a big thing for me. I've always loved the human voice, like as a kid and, and loved music. And I remember like being seven years old at my grandparents' house and listening to the magic flute yeah. and singing along and my grandmother peeking in from the kitchen and saying, oh, my God, that was you. I wasn't sure if that was you or the recording. And she was obviously being just, you know, a doting yeah. grandmother. But it was I just remember when I was alone and so into it. And there's something about singing that is so just direct sensory emotional without anything between you and your your feelings yeah but no yeah totally it's and it's super vulnerable and like there's this whole the breathing part of it and like the deliver like i that totally makes sense to me um and like uh, i found it interesting you said you work with like uh people like uh, kids in their teens and that's such a like uh interesting time for any person um emotionally so like Hell yeah. My show is kind of about that in a way, you know. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the show and the album, like, is yeah. that after I listened to the the advance Howard sent me before, like, reading anything, and I do that with everybody just to, like, hear. Great. Like, I love is, that. You know, you know, like, to get just like a, what what is this? To be a new, yeah. new viewer, new listener. And, like, I was like, this is, this is, there's something going on. Like, this is really, like, potent. There's something going on here. And then diving oh, into your, like, thank you. Um, musical career and, and everything you've done, I'm like, holy shit, this is, like, one of the most, like, vulnerable, like, real albums I think I've heard in a while. And, like, this is. Wow. I really appreciate that. And let me tell you, it was, it was not and still isn't easy for that. I was just saying that that I really appreciate you pointing that out, especially because that that vulnerability is really not easy. You know, it's still when I do the show, there is a struggle in it. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky. You know, it's yeah. tricky to be that exposed. And well, and but that I think that because I've dove into the like with listening to like Mud or Airless Midnight, like those are both yeah. beautiful records, but there's something that with this one that just makes it like this is this is you like and it comes off like (laughs) for not even knowing anything about you like the first listen that was there too but like going in with some history of like oh man 
this is this is going deep um so like oh i love that thank you well that was that's it's excellent it's an excellent record um but like kind of so the catch everyone else it's also a show so like yep what what brought about the the anti-musical aspect of it like was that the main idea before the album Yes and no. So yes, it was the main idea before the album, and we even worked on it. But in terms of the songs that make up the album, those were the first and fundamental and most crucial ingredients of the show. So that everything else was always kind of built around the songs, which were the first thing to to come out of this project. So the anti-musical idea came about... Um, I'm starting to use that term anti-musical completely seriously, by yeah. the way, <laughs> as though it's as though it's a real thing, even though it's just this sort of goofy punk rock uh, take on musical. But I just think it's totally appropriate and I'm going with it. Um, but it came about because Stu of Stu and the Negro Problem and uh, Passing Strange, that musical, and I decided to work on something and um, together. And that's kind of his world, like shows now. I mean, he used to just do records and band, but but now he also is very deep in the theater and, quote, anti-musical <laughs> world. So so he, that he said to me, um, well, I'm sure many people have asked you, and I'm sure you've thought about this, but what about doing something about your growing up in New York and in that whole, you know, amazing world that everybody's so curious about and constantly wants to know about and my first reaction was wow i know there are amazing and important stories that i am a witness to and participant to from that era but i'm not comfortable enough to to put myself at the fore in that way like my memoir you know my (laughs) that's just not how i roll that's not me and also into nostalgia and looking back and romanticizing the past. And he said, those two things you just said, that is exactly why you're the person who should do this. <laughs> so I was like, okay, challenge accepted. Was it? So that, that came about. That's a, like, it's funny, like, with the whole, because there's the whole, I can't remember, it's near the latter half of the record, there's the one song that says, memoir, sell your memory, like, this idea yeah, of, yeah. like, uh, and and that and the whole uh, nostalgia being one of the tracks, yep. like, yeah, rom- yeah, romanticizing of it. Like I think it, it, I agree with him. Like if if you're not going to go into it like that, you're going to get more of an honest picture of what it was. And exactly. Like, that was I think his. Without even saying those words, that was exact. He's a very smart, discerning cat. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was exactly his his instinct that. Uh, not getting too romanticized about it and um and just not getting too me 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 let me tell you my story about it is exactly why it's going to be maybe even more honest in some ways and also what i did was i thought well okay this is a real struggle for me for those reasons that i just mentioned so why don't i bring the topic of the struggle in the telling itself and that's where like the songs like nostalgia and that song about you know privacy and and even this opening track i remember like there there are like two or three songs on the album that are kind of like meta commentary on this whole endeavor 
the second song right after uh um with, I'm trying to remember it um art uh art bodega nation art, yeah <laughs> yeah that yeah. In particular with because like it seems like uh because I dove into a, a bunch of other interviews uh, with you like um seems like a lot of people bring up the squat theater and like the yep. the magic yep. behind it but also yep. like uh, I work at a nonprofit art gallery in Cleveland, and there's there's nights that aren't magic. <laughs> there's plenty of nights where you're like, "Hello, oh. <laughs> yep, yep." Well, that's the whole thing about magic is magic because it's fleeting and momentary, and it cannot be sustained. And once you try, uh, you know, and and it's just like people talking about touring, right? You right. see these bands on tour, and maybe for that ninety minutes, and probably not even all of that. Yeah. It is magic, but there's a lot of not magic around it. <laughs> uh, where do they park that van to get here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you know, why is there beer spilled on the microphone? And you know, and just like doing that, th those days were incredible, magical, incredibly magical in one sense because yeah. there was this of community and exchange of ideas and a respect for the essence essential um thing of art which has kind of disappeared a little bit from our culture so it was an incredibly magical time but it was also dangerous druggy we were poor you know yeah. there's there's interpersonal conflict like any other time in his so yeah it's not all magic well and it's the balance of the two and like the magic the magic's always gonna persevere everyone's gonna like yeah. grab onto that because during all that stuff you need that you know i mean like yes i think like uh like like uh, um some of the groups that like were around at the time like the lounge lizards and dna and like the no wave stuff like i'd yep. mention like a lot of that like when you see it now, you're like, what is going on? This is wild. But like, if you're there, like, this is something that we're here. This is okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and the thing is to, to be honest about that. It's not all magic all the time is, is important because otherwise it turns into something almost fetishy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like the, like, and I am not into that. I'm not into fetishizing anything. Uh, so I'm interested in exploring the, the contradictions of things. And so I'm, I appreciate picking up on that. Was it, and that's, I think exploring those contradictions makes like, makes whatever you're looking at more, more seen and more uh, like if it can withstand both ends of like, yeah, you know, it was kind of shitty, but it was also kind of great, you know? Yeah. Like if you can bring both ends to it, it makes it a more full thing. It makes it a more full experience. And like, absolutely. Ah, that's like, um, but so like, okay. So we did, did Stu like, was he aware of like, uh, of the theater and of your history? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, uh, I love meeting Stu because I mean, I, I'd known of him and we'd, we'd probably been in the same room a bunch of times and I'd heard of his band when, cause I did a little stint living in LA for a while. And, but, and I saw Passing Strange at the public before it went to Broadway and loved it. But then I went to see another show of his uh, and I thought, man, this guy's mind, it resonates with mine. There's something going on there that like my, my brain and my senses were like a little bit on fire, just 
just watching his show, which is like, I'm going to go up to him after the show and introduce myself. Like, I just have to. Um, usually I'm kind of shy and about stuff like that. Um, and when I went up to him and I said, Sue, this was amazing. I'm Esther. And the first thing he said to me is, Esther from Squat? Let's do something. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was just thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah. And, and part of that, that's that magic reaching out, you know, like even though like all, all the, all the, there's all the bad stuff with it. Those for certain people, that experience is always going to be a highlight. And like, I'm sure it is for you as well. You know, like, um, yep. Even though like that there's the cleaning up the room at the end of the night or <laughs> sleeping there. Yeah. You know? Oh, there was a lot of that. There definitely <laughs> was a lot of that. <laughs> but, um, but that's amazing. Oh, so, and that's, that's where the whole anti-musical like started or like, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it all started. Yeah. That's after we, he, he was like, let's do something. And I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking, but you said it first. Awesome. <laughs> um, and then we just got together and had a bunch of conversations and, and he, that's when he, he was like, well, isn't it obvious that you should do something about those years and you growing up? And at first I was like, no, no, no. And then we kind of figured out a way around my hangups about it. And, and the, he actually hasn't been involved with the development of the show and the live performance, but he did write pretty much all the songs with me, except maybe for one. And he is kind of all over the record. So was it? Well, I imagine very he's, cool. he's pretty busy individual. Yeah, very, very. Yeah. He's got his hands in a lot of different stuff and he teaches a few different courses. So, yeah. uh, but, but, but it's cool because I think, you know, I'm I'm really grateful that that is a word that's been so overused lately, but I'm really thankful that that he kind of jump started this. And that's really that's really his spirit is all over this project. And, you know, maybe we'll do something else sometime down the line. But I'm, I've got a really great team now for the live show. So it's not like it depends on his availability or, or participation. So you, you guys developed the songs together and then when you yep. took it to, to the live show, what was that what was that kind of process like? But so that process, he was still initially involved in the sense of just Stu was such a great foil for me because like so like with all the songs, he just said, Well, tell maybe like tell me a little bit about the songs. And set them up for me. It was almost like set the songs up for me. And I did a shitload of writing at that point. I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And that writing, that sort of setting up the songs became the show, essentially. Uh, and, and I mean, through a lot of revisions and there are like a few little scenes there's and it's still a work in progress so we're like we have a show coming up in january and we're going to definitely shake it up from since the last one but that writing that prompt that he gave me to sort of set this the little that really became the essence of the show other than the songs so he was just a good feel for me because when i write when i work when I create, even when I perform, I'm all about, I need uh, a 
a like-minded individual who I respect that I'm speaking to, you know, who I want to connect with. That's my kind of, that's my impetus. Everybody has their own and we are all wired a little differently. That's mine. And so, like I said, Stu's mind kind of, I feel like resonates with mine. There's, there's something about his way of thinking and, his synapses the way they fire that that speaks to me so it was a great he was a great foil for me to to prompt me into writing these monologues and texts around the songs it's it's interesting because like I, I was just talking about this last night um with a friend uh like the idea that like uh any expression right like sonically or 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 communal just any any it has to be like perceived and received in a way if not i don't think that would be a even a mode of like thought you'd be so sensory deprived of that thing like if if you didn't if if there was no other people to sing or play with or to like would you sing and or play or would you just that sensory you know you know what i mean just in like such a good such a good thing to explore because to me no, but I don't know. Maybe there are some other people out there that are wired really differently that are perfectly content to do it. Uh, but but I don't e- I don't know if I believe that. I think even the most solitary creators and writers have somebody in mind, right? Yeah. That that they are communicating with because art. I mean, if it's not about connection, what is it? Right. Right. Then that was yeah. that was the point, like of this conversation yeah. we had. I was like, yeah. where does it leave that? And like, yeah. So I t- I totally yeah. relate to that. Uh, finding that like mind to like spark that, th- even if it's just an offhand comment, like, oh, you know, this Ex- is, you know what I mean? You're like, exactly. I I think like we all wish to be seen, you know, yeah. and and that's just such a great satisfying process to to communicate in that way through art. Um, so do you work with like, as far as like, cause listening to the last two records, like yeah. was having this prompt, like something that was kind of new for music in a way? Yes, very much. So I, well, I would say that my last record, Airless Midnight, I, I think there is a very strong theme in there that, that goes throughout of um what i was going through at the time with my, my i lost my dad and and i was thinking about him a lot and was thinking about death was kind of a yeah. big theme on airless midnight i i don't know if it comes through or not but for me on a very more kind of buried almost half conscious very personal level there was a little bit of a thematic thread there for me in that yeah. collection of songs but this was much more overt in in that way um and it's actually a really interesting question um, for me moving forward. Like, will I be able to make another record that is just kind of an arbitrary collection of songs? Or will I really always need a bigger container to hold the, the purpose of? And I don't know the answer to that yet, but but it's something I've already started thinking about. Yeah. Cause like it seems like once you once you start writing like that, like the the song cycle thing, is is equally rewarding and challenging. But like the idea of doing that for a bigger narrative seems like 
a bigger challenge and then the kind of like oh i can do that too like it seems like yeah. there'd be no going back but you know yeah i i mean i mean the only way of yeah i don't know i really don't get back to me in like 6 months or a year okay <laughs> with that question i'll i'll tell you what i've discovered i don't know it, and and the not yeah. knowing place is actually cool and okay i'm i'm good with that yeah I think that that's I think that's a it's it's a tough place for a lot of people to be in that not yeah. knowing but there's there's also that beauty of the not knowing. And the beauty of discovering and play, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I um I, I talk with my sister a lot in like the not knowing and like realizing how awful it is to not know but also kind of for myself looking back a little bit like with my journey and not knowing and like being okay with that. Like how it's like exciting and awful at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go again with those contradictions, right? <laughs> but um, but okay, like so with uh, with Airless Midnight, um, had, was Mark Rabot? Were you working with him around the this the the squat scene? Like, how did you meet him? He is actually an old friend of mine. Yeah. He he was around back in the old days. Uh, with the lounge lizards so I knew him from back then and uh, we just I I would say more than casually for sure but not really close friends like we're we were friends you know we're yeah. the same tribe we we had conversations and then we became closer friends more like in the last I don't know 20 years well you know I did here's what happened when I moved back from LA we did this one track together um, that in a way like created more of a working relationship between him and I, and it was a track on a John Zorn collection, a tribute to Serge Gainsbourg. Um, and it went really well. Uh, so JD Foster, who produced my previous albums was producing this track for, for Mark. Uh, and, they but they wanted a singer to come in. They want and JD said, Well, I'm working with Esther, why don't we bring her in? I think she speaks French. <laughs> and because it was we sang some of it in, in French, or was it all of it? Um, uh, and so that went really well. It was just kind of a, like a magical recording that went fast and well, and we clicked again. It was like that click thing that we were talking about before, and so after that, um. Rebo called me in for a few different things over the years. Like we did that, that stuff live, his uh, Cubanos Postizos record. And then I actually toured for a while with his band Ceramic Dog, which was a great experience. I was really in the big leagues with, with yeah. those guys. I mean, they're just phenomenal. Do you know that band? Yeah, yeah. No, like I, I watched a, yeah. a few live performances with you with them, and uh, oh, and like I, well, cause th and that's why I was wondering, like, if that was part of, like, because like I forget which performance. Uh, one of them, you were switching like between a melodica, violin, and doing harmonies, and like you were doing yeah. all all this stuff, and like s listening to everything that was going on. I'm like, this is beautifully accompanying what 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 Mark's doing here, and like. And like to be able to pick up in different things and really bring out these aspects of the song and like oh cool i'm glad you said that well it was really that that was a scary jumping off the yeah. ledge experience for me because because those three guys are just so 
insanely good and they and they'd already had their thing you know for yeah. they'd been doing that band for years so for me to jump in was like ah. <laughs> uh and also mark's funny like he, he there's not a ton of knowing what you're gonna have to be doing on stage beforehand so you have to really roll with it like he'll play um scribbly sheet music in front of you five minutes before the show and you don't know what the set list is and all that and so there's a lot of really nerve-wracking jumping off the ledge and I think he is very smart and does that on purpose both to himself and to his musicians because he wants nothing ever to sound rote <laughs> so when you're hanging on for dear life that it does there's definitely an intensity uh, of intention that comes through that i think conceptually he really likes uh but i sometimes i did feel like saying to him well don't you know i already feel like this just in everyday life walking down the street i don't need to be pushed off the edge i'm already like <laughs> uh, living on the but edge. it was yeah it was a very it was a really cool like school cool school to go through yeah it, like, um, it, those performances are amazing and how you guys work as a group and i don't know if it's from the sheer terror of i hope this lands or, or what yeah. but like um i think there's something to be said that it, it it's alive with that you know and yes like, alive is a great word it's very alive with that and i do think he deliberately um i haven't checked this with him so if he listens and and gets mad at me, I'm so sorry. But I think he sort of deliberately creates that sheer terror atmosphere to keep that intensity in the show. And maybe it's just me. Maybe those guys are so totally like pros beyond pros beyond pros that they don't feel that. But certainly for me, it was sheer terror. <laughs> but I enjoyed it, too. Yeah, yeah. I really did. Well, leaving yeah. the stage like that and feeling good, like when you do a take right or just when when it lands and you're like, I never thought I would do that. And like there's there's like a, 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 a uplift from that. There's a, a dopamine spike of yeah, made yeah. this work. How do we do that? How are we going to do that tomorrow? Like that is exactly. unlike no other. Yeah, because he has toured an, a lot he might need more of that, oh, you know, yeah. like, because yeah, yeah. otherwise it probably would get. Yeah. So I could see how that's a cool strategy when you're on the road a lot. Did a yeah. kind of like coming from like the avant-garde theater like realm, did that like yeah. kind of like yes and or like living on the edge of not knowing were, were you like kind of always uncomfortably comfortable with that? <laughs> like, uh, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The short answer is yes. I, I'm very, let's put it this way. I'm very familiar with it. It never gets comfortable. And so, the, so that world of like what we were just discussing, that energy of touring with Rebo was very familiar in mm. that sense to me in, in from, from the theater experience. And uh, yeah, every show was a do or die. Every invention was like maybe this will work maybe this won't and if it doesn't it's not just like oh what the hell it wasn't a great show so what there'll be one tomorrow it's like you fucked up you know like <laughs> yeah. it was like the world is like it was just the stakes are very high and it's 
I will say back circling back to the romanticizing issue that when you're I I would now say with the more mature perspective and being a mom myself that when you're like 10 years old and still forming that may be a bit much yeah. <laughs> for your for your nervous system and I think it has kind of impacted me for life mm. um I uh so and not all in good ways but yes yeah, so to that's the long answer to your question yes it is the uncomfortable the comfortably uncomfortable or whatever however we <laughs> want to say it yes was well, it yeah that I mean I t like the, the the sense of it, it's interesting because like that's such a like um a trying spot to like be and find yourself and like it's such a growing atmosphere right to be in that yeah. uncomfortably comfortable spot like the always like putting yourself in a, a new situation to move and grow from it but there's also yes. like the balance of okay I have accomplished this I know how to do that that having that comfort to back up that uncomfortableness. I think is equally as uh, important too, you know, like. To totally agree. And it's really actually uh, from the, from that sweet spot of, of having true confidence that comes from having the experience, having the knowledge, having the skill even. Uh, and then, you know, like, the sweet spot is is then being able to take huge risks and kind of jumping off the ledge, but still there's an innate confidence that um, that is just backed up by experience. And that's a really hard sweet spot to find. Right. I certainly don't always find it, but I think it's a good one to chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I think that's well said. Um, kind mm -hmm. of like a, so like with um, with music, when, I mean, singing and, like, kind of, like, expressing yourself vocally, when did, like, violin, when did you get a violin in your hand? Well, the violin was that I was really young. My my uh, mom, I think, took me to, this is kind of a cool story because that, I'm going to name drop for a second. Okay. But uh, in Hungary, when, uh, trigger warning, name <laughs> drop warning. Uh, there is, in Hungary, my mom took me to our good family friend, uh, uh, do you know George Kortog, the composer, who's okay. like, he is become like a really heavy, he had a, his first uh, big opera, I think, here and, and recently, but he, um, he's been around and in the classical world, massively respected, and he's a genius, P.S., um, but he was, was a family friend, really good friend with my grandfather and friends with my dad. And he looked at my hand, uh, my mom was thinking piano cause she had played piano and he looked at my hands and he was like, but she's got violin, violinist hands. So that, that was that. So that was when <laughs> I was like six and my grandmother and mom signed me up for, classical violin lessons with a wonderful teacher who I still remember to this day. I did not stick with the classical violin eventually. I mean, we left Hungary and I tried to continue and found some different teachers, but our life was so chaotic and um, I didn't really persist for that much longer. Like I probably often on studied classical violin for around eight years off and on. But the point was that sh this first teacher I had was a phenomenal teacher. 
He gave me some really amazing foundational skills so that even when I kind of abandoned the violin for quite a few years, maybe even a decade, once I picked yeah, I did have a, a a good relationship with the instrument. That's incredible. So that was really my first. That was really my first musical instrument. Yeah. That's it. Like the with some of the found like to jump off and come back to it. Like th that's an incredible lesson. Whatever, uh, however they presented it in a way like because you know as a kid you're you're, you're thinking yeah. of so many things and there's so many things that are cool like jumping or whatever you know what i mean like to take yes it. yes yes <laughs> well i think that i think there was a little bit of a i mean you know there was a little bit of a pragmatic aspect to that like oh i'm doing my own music now i'm a singer songwriter hey i know what would come in handy you know yeah. and so there was a little bit of that and then earlier too like there was a little novelty aspect to it when I was a teen and growing up in that crazy scene where everybody was in a band and playing music. And I think I, there weren't that many violinists around. So I, I had that as a little bit of an asset, like, Oh, I can, I can have, I can kind of scratch out a tune on this thing. I played on this cool recording, which I'm not sure if you're aware of, but it's that, uh, recording produced by Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you know, and so that was the first time I ever recorded with my violin. Jeez. <laughs> talk, talk about the, the fear, the, the comfortably uncomfortable. Hello. <laughs> Terrified. Terrified. And with like the coolest guys in the room that right. you could possibly think of. And especially like listening to Ramal Z doing that rap and then, you know his his friends uh in the saying to me funk it up funk it up and i'm like oh how do you do that on the violin yeah. oh. <laughs> so i am i am aware of that but what what brought that up how did that was that just from them seeing you in the theater and you seeing you play or I was friends with with Basquiat, so we had a yeah. we had a relationship, and he knew that I played violin. And I I had actually played the violin in a few public settings in like weird conceptual art bands that I was I was in for like five minutes, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah. The, it was the time and that was the era. We were all, <laughs> and and again, there was a novelty aspect to me, like. Hey, Esther's the one with the violin. Like, no, that wasn't a big thing. There weren't that many people. Well, there was this amazing guy, Boris Police Band, who could really play, and uh, a few other people. But, but I, as far as girls, there wasn't really anyone. So, I had already made a few appearances with the violin as a as a young girl, and I think Jean Michel just remembered that and and said, "Hey, I'm making a recording." And it was just, you know, such it's it's actually a good story in that it's such a reflection of how organically things happened in that time that is very foreign to us now. But making a recording wasn't about hiring so and so and so and so from the roster. It was like, which cool friend of mine who I like, who I have a relationship with plays that instrument. Let's call them in. You yeah, know, that that was that's so cool. Cause that's like I, I I've recently like kind of experienced a fair amount of loss and like this last mm -hmm. year I've been like trying to work with my I play in a band and we've been trying to put together mm -hmm. this record and I'm like reaching out to all 
all these friends that we play with to kind of like have a little time capsule for myself of like, mm -hmm. you remember when Leah had her band or Benny was in his band? Like, let's see if they can yeah. record something with us. And then I can remember, you know, just like to have this like this little capsule of like friendship and where everyone was at. Because that is a mess. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, and like, so I definitely agree It's wonderful, yeah. yeah. And and it's actually, maybe it is still happening in some circles, you know, and maybe amongst younger people, like, maybe there is still that spirit of, like, people in high school are like, hey, you you like guitar, right? Learn, learn three <laughs> chords and let's form a band, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely think, it, you know, that that's somewhere out there. But, like, I agree with you, like, in, like, the, the bigger picture of things where, like, the more music that's fed to you in a way or put together in like professional situation is like um is more like you, how you said here's the register you can pick from them uh, this is, these are yeah. our punk people uh -huh. yep you yep know, like, these are our a list there's our b list yeah and well, right now you can dave can afford the d list um <laughs> yeah 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 um, but uh but yeah and, and then like so I, I, there's, that is, that is the non, like, uh, magic, non-polished magic, I think. Then that, that's cool to hear that that's what that recording was. Very much so. And, and the great thing about that non-polished magic that existed a lot at the time is that I do want to point out it was, while on one hand it was like, hey, dude, you, you've played guitar in your life, right? Come and be in this band. There was a bit of that attitude, but it was also people were really trying to do things. They weren't just, you know, yeah. the personnel might've been made up of, of community and like-minded members who weren't necessarily the A-listers from the list, but, but the spirit of doing something that mattered was serious that was serious business you know so it was cool that way yeah, well and that's much more pure intention to get behind and understand and be inspired by you know yep and, yep um, um with that kind of whole like scene did you ever cross paths with like a, a lydia lunch or a adele berte uh, uh yes adele quite a lot lydia less okay. um and i actually am friends with adele uh she's you great. know yeah 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 she's great she's um she's such a fireball of creative i did i don't know if you're aware but she she has a book out that's yeah. so great which um, one which one she's got a few peter she's, and the wolves. Well, yeah peter and the wolves yeah it's so awesome yeah did you know peter uh, lofner i did not okay i did not um but lydia if funnily enough i i actually you know we knew a lot of the same people and I was I was younger than mm. than everyone else so certain people like even for me who was really brave and really like adventurous scared me a little yeah. <laughs> and I think Lydia <laughs> might have been one of them she probably like that I think like she I know she would that's what I'm I'm <laughs> willing to say Actually, I think even Adele back in those days scared me a little. Yeah. Cause, but but they played at Squat, you know, with, with okay. James Chance and the Contortions. Yeah. And I would see Adele like she was tiny, this little, little thing. But she was on that slamming on that keyboard like yeah. there's no tomorrow. And 
there was just almost a violent spirit to their thing that was like, this chick is cool. I better steer clear of her. <laughs> and then later we became good friends. So did you, uh, was she in LA at the time you were in LA? Yeah, that's that's oh, okay. really where that's really where we became friends. It was a little less scary in yeah. that context. <laughs> I talked with her about her book because I, I I was really interested, well, in her career, but also reading her book and t- hearing about Peter, and like what a character right. he is. And yeah. I, she's created, I think, a really big wave with it. Because I was just talking with a uh, David J from Bauhaus. And he, uh-huh. he was talking about uh, um, how we got really influenced by Peter Lofner in this record. And I was like, have you read uh, um, Adele's book? And like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> so that, oh, that's, that's super cool. And like, were you, like the kind of like, cause she was from Cleveland. Um, yeah. Uh, my, I, ha- I have some friends who are really, really into a, in, into your acting work. And mm-hmm. they actually, I told them I was talking with you, and they gave me a list. Of a couple I knew of Cleveland was. I knew Cleveland was going to be a segue to uh, that. <laughs> I ain't no fool. I, well, that's the thing. Like, I've listened to a ton of interviews with you and read a lot, and like, I feel like a lot of people didn't really like ask you about the music, and like, the music's fascinating. Uh, like, thank you, thank you so much. And 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 now that you've said that, and that we've dug into the music you are don't don't be shy you're yeah. welcome and invited to bring that other stuff up well it's mostly <laughs> I, I i got cleveland-based questions but yeah. uh, my friend um uh, they're a filmmaker they made a film called Springfish. his their name's a uh, gabriel blywolf and they play in uh-huh. a band called the franz which is a pro public transit punk band Oh, <laughs> please, please uh, Google Translate. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, uh, and like, so they, they write songs about how awesome the bus is and like how public transportation is the best. <laughs> and... Oh, that is so funny. I love it. It's it's <laughs> awesome because every time I bring it up, the people are like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I bet I bet they haven't spent time in new york city <laughs> they actually had <laughs> <Am> I <not? laughs> they wrote songs about it um, oh god really oh, but yeah god. that's part of the that's part of the fun they have with it and and the songs are really yeah. good and they're, and they're really musically talented <laughs> but anyway. i love it <laughs> so when i told gabe i was talking with you they got all excited and um so one question um was um when you were going through cleveland like in that film, in the film, um, yeah. Stranger Than Paradise, when the yeah. part was like, because I know it was broken up into two pieces. There was like the, the New York part, and then there was a trip where they go to see you in Cleveland. Um, and and then there's the Florida part. So yeah, it's actually Florida three. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know if that was lumped together with, there was a budget for this part now. But um, there is that whole transition uh, transition where you go. Um it blew my mind, like, whoa, that's Cleveland. It still looks the same. <laughs> yeah, wow. Does it still look the same? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. There's some changes. New, but... New York sure doesn't. Like, the New York <laughs> that's in that film is kind of an incredible historical record, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, of, uh, sorry. But go ahead. Yeah, Cleveland was, was a new world to me at that time. That's what I was going to ask. Was that your first time going and like going from like New York to Cleveland, even just for a little bit? What was that experience like? Um, 
You know, I toured just a little bit okay. in America before then with the theater, but not that much. And for sure, seeing Cleveland, it really did bring home the fact that this New York that we live in, that I know and that I love and that I I think that as part of America is, wow, it's not really America, is it? It's very different. Uh, so spending time in Cleveland was like, what is this? You know, um, but on the other hand, we were really busy shooting. Also, it was freezing, freezing, freezing cold. So I didn't get to totally explore it. So I just don't want to seem like arrogant. Like I really know what <laughs> Cleveland's all about. I'd actually been back there once or twice and it is a cool city, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out of Cleveland. Were you performing? With the with the once or twice times you came back, was it like the no, or just going through? I I once I think I was just going through, and another time I did actually do a little project, uh, but it was in a, in a school, and it wasn't it wasn't, but it wasn't a show, and it wasn't it was just. But I didn't I I still don't feel like I really fully know the city. Was it well, that? that the that one scene where you're like this is the lake and it's just snow yeah. that, that's not far yeah. off <laughs> that's not far off wow yeah that's good um yeah well well you know jim jarmusch is from near the i mean right. he's from ohio Cuyahoga. yeah or something like yeah. that uh, or at, yeah yeah i think so yeah um i'm totally sure but did, and now did you meet him through the theater yes okay yes and yes like, indeed so, like, kind of jumping from, like, a, the theater gigs that you're doing to a film like this, I imagine it was kind of that uncomfortable comfortableness, but was it, like, was it strange, the kind of, like, b because of the sense of, like, how kind of, like, uh, structured in a way it was? Uh, well, it wasn't all that structured. Let's not get yeah, yeah, like, yeah, but... it was. It was still a little bit loose. I, I think my sense of it was looser than it came out. Uh, it, it has a wonderful structure, actually, and I think it is kind of structured in a, in a really solid way, but in a great way. But when we started working on it, it wasn't. It was uh, Jim had a had a solid idea and a, I think just a little bit of a script, and we rehearsed a lot uh, and we worked out a lot of the dialogue and even some of what, what would happen through rehearsals. So, I mean, he responsible for the vision and for holding it all together but there was definitely a lot of looseness in the process at first than than is apparent on screen um it was a big responsibility you know for me to carry uh, yeah to carry the lead and i had been on film before various student films and also my theater group i'm not my theater group but the one i grew up in um, used film a lot. So I had been on film in those works and I had had some really big parts in some of the shows and still stepping out of that container and having this big responsibility in another different container was for sure scary and a challenge. But I just was with friends. So that felt good. And with, again, kind of like-minded friends, you know, who were in the same universe, creative universe that I was in. So that felt comforting. And uh, 
I just did my thing, which was, as far as I knew, it was just whatever you do, don't act. Wow. <laughs> that's, I think that's, that's like, it's amazing advice. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's really well said. And, and it, it's kind of reminiscent to, to, to the scribbled notes of, uh, uh, of Mark Rabot. Hey, we're going to do this. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, carrying yeah, that yeah. Of that performance, but like the yeah, be, yeah. being a little more delayed because it's a film and then seeing it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Um, did you ever do a, have you ever done music with John Laurie? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I sang a little bit on his Marvin first Marvin Pontiac record. Uh, I do some harmonies and backgrounds that it was a great session and I love that record. And I think he's a phenomenal musician and composer and music maker and painter too. Yeah. 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 But like, Coming from like, so did you, I'd imagine you, you acted with him before, but with acting with someone like that or anyone in general, like with, with acting with them and then like making music, is it like a, a different headspace or do you find it to be a similar headspace? Um, ma making music with, wait, you oh, mean, sorry. yeah, can you repeat that? I'm just trying to follow the question. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, making music with someone you acted with. So like already sharing mm -hmm. this joint performance, but in a different like headspace or a different mode, like when crossing, like, like going from acting with someone to working with them on a record, do you find, is it a similar uh, headspace and approach or do you, uh, do you have a different like way to approach that when you're switching? Uh, no. No? I don't think it's different. I think it's, it's, uh, we, we had, you know, I knew him as a musician first, okay. really okay. anyway. Uh, and, and so I've always associated him first and foremost with being a musician. So there was no, and, and I think also that's is a little interesting aside, but I think singing a song, um, and performing probably instrumentally too but singing it even more so is is just telling a story and is really not all that different from acting in some ways i think you you know you're inhabiting a character and, and you're you're telling a story i i really noticed this when i did that tv show louie and I had not acted in a long time, but I'd been doing quite a lot of performances. I've been consistently working as a musician and I was scared to death doing that show. Like, wow, how am I going to do this? I haven't done this in a while. And Louis was actually very cool about it. I said, don't worry, just, just do it. And when I, when we did it, it was like, Oh, this is kind of the same muscle I use for singing a song. This is actually not some alien thing. I think that's well said. That's super interesting. Yeah. Cause like I, I I've talked with some other people about like, um, acting in like music and how they think, uh, it's different or it's similar. And, um, one thing that really stuck out to me was, a uh, I talked with Victor Wooten and, one of his things, oh, yeah. is, right, right. Um, one of his <sighs> like, philosophies is, I think he, he he said, I think every musician should take an acting class. 
and and after talking with some friends about some techniques and stuff, a lot of that seems really uh, compelling to really get into the song as the same way to kind of get into a character. And all that. That's said, amazing. I love that he yeah. said that. That's really cool. Uh, it's yeah, and like th I think that speaks so highly of his musicianship in a way. Um, but like, I think that's what makes uh, I hate memory, like, and the anti-musical so like mm -hmm. potent is it's really driving from those two things of of your creative expression and like i think yeah. they beautifully come together in this i love that that's and and in the live show there is a little bit more uh quote acting and i use that term very you know with a giant grain of salt as i've already made clear but you know what i mean so there yeah. is more of that part of me in it too I, I think that it, it's interesting if I think about a lot of mu singers, musicians who have transitioned to uh, acting or being in a film, like it often works quite well, surprisingly well. And, and, you know, whereas like, you know, models, maybe not so much, or uh, people, you know, coming from, uh, I don't know, other kinds of celebrities coming from other modalities to acting often doesn't quite work, but there's something about musicians or especially singers transitioning to acting that can off more often than not work surprisingly well. And I, I, my theory is that's why, because when they're performing a song on stage, there is, a, there is kind of a similar something muscle being used. Was it that and like I think it works with like people who kind of do stand up too seem to transition mm -hmm. well to that that like mm -hmm. that vocal yep. expression. Um, yep. Uh, what's a papaya ice cream? Like that's that's part of <laughs> is that part of the show? Like that was noted multiple times and in the in the song. Honestly, it's just in the song, and yeah. we just tried to uh, that little blurb about. I did write with Stu and, and yeah. he's great like that. And it's, and it's really, you know, trying to cut to the essence of the matter by mentioning these sort of arbitrary things, I think was, was rather than this show is a coming of age, uh, you know, but like papaya ice cream means a lot to me personally, because it's like, you know, I came here at age 11 and what the fuck is papaya ice cream? <laughs> First of all, what the fuck is papaya? And second right. of all, you can even make ice cream out of it. It's like uh, everything is new, you know, and and crazy. And you you, it's like this is a place where you can have papaya ice cream. I love it. I'm in. <laughs> it's like the amusement park, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's such a. Well, what what two strange luxuries put together? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had a friend who um came in from Turkey for uh, the visit an aunt and I was showing her around and like one thing that blew her mind was there's a gas station where you can use a screen to order food and like I, I that is crazy to think about and like <laughs> I never thought about how bizarre that is until I saw her like what <laughs> is this <laughs> like, yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it, it, it's funny, you know, in a weird way, the, the papaya ice cream is almost the inverse, but like a parallel inverse to yeah. the whole TV, TV dinner thing, too. And Stranger oh, Than yeah. Paradise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now that's an excellent version of it because it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, actually, yeah. I forgot Gabe's questions. I didn't even ask him. Um, they wanted to know, um, the actress who played, uh, aunt aunt um i can't remember aunt lottie aunt lottie um yes where did she come from and uh, like how was it working with her <laughs> um it was really funny i kind of think she really truly was like that yeah in real it life. seems like not acting <laughs> <laughs> yep yep and uh she's great actually uh but she, i think she's passed away and she was the aunt of the producer, Jim Stark. I believe she was his aunt. And uh, she really lived in Cleveland and I guess he was from Cleveland. So there's all connection. Again, again, this was a time when we were all very resourceful. You know, it's like, use your friends, use the people you know, use their aunts if you have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, so, that's so charming about it. Was that her house? That uh, the uh, the scene was shot in when you guys go to Cleveland. You know, I don't remember, but mm. that's a good question. I'm not totally sure, but it seems like it might have been, because, like I said, we and we had to be yeah. working on a shoestring. Yeah, um, that's really cool. Because, like, Gabe, when they made their film, they they made it all out of like his dad's house and like friends' like backyard. You know, like it was all like do it uh, what can we use for diy DIY. yeah and i mean it's so funny that there was that sorry to interrupt just laughing because you know there's been these various phases of people talking about diy right Mm -hmm. and like oh we got we got to go back to diy or, or like people are like wow that's the new thing just get just get a little more diy and i'm i'm sort of like of course, part of it is my age, but I come from a world like, what are you talking about? Everything we did all the time was <laughs> DIY. I'm, I, I kind of want, like, I want the glamour now. Like, just give me, give me, give me an assistant. Give me, a, like, I am b- b- born, raised, and bred in DIY yeah. culture to yeah. the max. <laughs> uh, I totally, I, I totally understand that. Give me, give me someone who can book this show. I don't want to say exactly. Hello, thank you. <laughs> I earned someone who can book this show yeah. for me at this yeah. point. I built the yeah. venues. We don't need yeah. that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's how it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, and like, gosh, how great the bookie, booking agent would be. <laughs> um, sure as hell true. Right. But, but the, and there's, there's a, different like it's interesting now there's like different levels of diy yeah i made it myself what'd you do well i sent the design to this person and he printed it (laughs) like (laughs) yeah but it's also there was a period and i think maybe that was a little longer ago where it was like it was almost like this cool cool new movement or something and it's like dudes you you i guess you weren't around when it wasn't like a choice it wasn't like this cool cool new hip thing diy thing and like a label we put on it and it was just like we didn't even know anything else but yeah it's i guess i guess the highlight the 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 magic behind the behavior is like hey it's cool to do your own thing 
sweet. But yeah, 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 totally, totally. That's, that's yeah. the highlight of it. But yeah, yeah. it's totally, like, yeah. no, this is yeah. the only way to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. there's no yeah. other option. It's just do it yourself every way or you can't do it. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> And, and if you've been, yeah, and, and if you've been DIYing it for many decades, you might even get a little tired. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, it's not fun to screen print every yeah. shirt. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. But I got the, pr I got more ink because. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and another, <laughs> another question they had was, um, uh, before I forget, um, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, yeah, that was so cool. Like as a Clevelander, the see that Screaming Jay was your man, right? And like that was featured yeah. as like I'm going to Cleveland here. And I don't know if you knew at the time. I'm sure you did. But uh, Screaming Jay being a Cleveland-based artist, um, were you familiar with Screaming Jay or any of his backstory before the film? I think that um, Jim, I. I don't know. He might have performed at Squad because, you know, we had a club and yeah. a lot of people came through. And I don't know if Jim met him there or if he knew him from Cleveland. I really don't want to spread false rumors. I know that I met Screaming Jay at Squad, and I think it may have been after the film, but I think he had been there before, too. But I know for sure that... Um, that was totally Jim's idea to bring him into the film and to bring that song into the film. And I don't even know if his career was really like happening at the time. Like he sort of been a little bit um, for somewhat forgotten or just, or struggling, or I don't know. I don't think he was like a huge deal in those days. Right. Right. I think it's more like he had that, uh, he had the hit in like, the character there was the character performance yeah. and like i believe it was interesting because like uh gabe they were telling me that like um screaming jay he did another film with jim jim jarmus and like he was he was in the war and like mm -hmm. he was really racist towards japanese people and he did this film wow. right apparently and like i don't want to spread false whatever but this is the, uh, the the story's really cool because like he because of going through the war and having that mindset right yeah he yep. did this film with Jim and there was an actress who was Japanese and they end up falling in love and <gasps> like being his last marriage before he passed um, wow right and like th that's that's what Gabe was telling me and like wow right so like. That's why I was like curious because like it, with with the kind of shtick he had, I imagine it's like because in the fifties he was terrifying people. <laughs> like, yeah, and he and I and I will say that in a very different way than we were talking about before with some of those heavy duty punkish tough girls. But he also scared me a little bit when <laughs> I met him. Not be, not in that way, but because he was a little. There was a tiny bit of something unhinged about him. Uh, uh, when I remember him sitting around and at at squad and talking, and maybe it was just his manic energy, or or, but I could totally I didn't even know that history about him having been in the war, and so that's really super interesting because 
then he's just another one of these people that are brilliant and damaged that end up doing art or singing or performing. And but there is like a character that emerges, but there's also sort of some trauma probably mixed in there and buried in there, which is like a lot of us really. Right. Isn't it? And it's it's examining the the kind of good and bad of it all. And like, yep, yep. It's interesting working in a like an art space. Like I work at this art gallery. You get these characters and these people that roll in there, feel drive to be there, right, and to do something. And you, get the, it's interesting. Like you pick up on some of that manic stuff where you're like, I don't know if I want to be around this yeah. person for more than I have to. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that 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 sense that draws people to this space and you don't know if it's like are they a manic creator are they a manic like what is their trauma is this not is this like where they no one judges them that's why they're here like did um did well a, that's a, that's such a deep topic that yeah. i'm almost tempted to not even respond because i'm gonna have to go in a few minutes and we'll be here for another hour okay. but yeah no esther i really appreciate your deep, time rich no i'm just i'm i'm telling you that's a rich topic that you just touched on and there's a lot to explore there well, is it, well, one day I would love the with the next record. Let's yeah, <laughs> let's chat about. I would love to because I'm actually super interested in that, and and we're all on an, on some spectrum of, of that. But yeah. some people are much further on the spectrum, and and it's a very interesting thing that that phenomenon. It's also interesting how we respond to it and what we do with it, and and you know. It's like, and the fetishizing of it can be actually quite dangerous, right, you know, right. and, uh, and I mean, like one, just, this is like the most cartoonish example, but like very topical, right. Is Marilyn Manson and right. like that character he created. And then look what's coming out now. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, no, definitely. Or even like Kanye, like here's someone yep, who's yep, definitely yep. suffered yep. trauma and like, yeah. Yep. People yep. glorify and like uh, uh, highlight all these things he says that you know most people would not not pay pay attention to had it been anyone else saying that same thing. You know, exactly, exactly. It's 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 a really deep thing, and there's also the flip side of it all, which is a lot of really fucked up, traumatized right. people right. doing doing stuff that if they weren't doing that stuff, if they weren't doing the art, if they weren't doing the work, then Right. They might be out there being serial killers, you know, or like, yeah, so in, in yeah. a way it brings out, it probably does help them heal the trauma to some extent, but it's a very complex thing. So that's why it's, it's another conversation probably. <laughs> for sure. For <laughs> sure. And, and I would love to pick your mind about Sun Ra because growing in the, growing up around Sun Ra and like people like Screaming Jay, like musically had to like really make that a, that tightrope of comfortable, uncomfortableness. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sun Ra. They, yeah, they were like from another world. Literally, they that. I'm just repeating what they said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, they would. They were one of the house bands. They came from Philly in a bus uh, on a regular basis. All thirty of them, or whatever. Uh, load into our theater and I because there were so many of them I didn't really have a, a, a personal relationship with like uh any of them but we would just nod and say hi and 
Oh, it was amazing. It was, it was such, they put on such a show. I was way too young to appreciate the, the depth of the musical genius that was going on there with Sun Ra. Like, I, I was a very sophisticated 12 and 13 year old, but not that <laughs> sophisticated. <laughs> um, uh, so to me that the, some of that went a little over my head, but I still do remember thinking space is the place is very cool. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Esther, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, this is, it's been a pleasure to dive into your music and your career. And so thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really liked your questions. And these are my favorite kinds of conversations where we actually have a conversation and not just like hitting publicity bullet points. Yeah. So thank you. I really, really liked it. And and let's let's do another one about that yeah. dark but yeah. very interesting topic sometime. I would love to. Let's we'll do a part two when you cool. when you got the next batch and uh, awesome. or, or if the show's on the road and we'll dive into the, the darkness of it. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.